picture on the screen is one of David as a shepherd, isn't it? Uh, it's not the usual picture we usually see, is it? We usually see one of David as uh, David and Goliath. Uh, sometimes we see it as David as, as a king, but uh, nevertheless, the roots of David, which we're going to be exploring this morning, are certainly in this picture. He is a shepherd who defended his sheep. Uh, and obviously the, the lion uh, lying there uh, being battered with the, the sling is uh, a, a metaphor, obviously, of uh, or a type of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so David the shepherd. Now, there are many times in, in scripture uh, where men and women are known by their character. Uh, they've got a character trait or, or one of their occupations, something they do, something that's special about them. Uh, just think, for instance, of John the Baptist. You know him as John the Baptist. He, he was a Baptist, wasn't he? Uh, how about this person? Abraham, the friend of God. Hmm, quite a remarkable one, that one, isn't it? The friend of God. Quite a colloquial term, but nevertheless, God was pleased to call him his friend. Um, how about Moses, the meekest man? I heard one uh, person today, I was doing a parents' evening, and uh, the, the dad was saying that uh, he was worried that his, his boy was too, too meek. I thought, hmm, you know, uh, that's quite, a, quite a, a positive thing, I would say, to be a, a meek boy, but uh, nevertheless, this parent was quite worried about that. Um, we have wrestling with Jacob, which I do frequently. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have um, Doubting Thomas, and I think Thomas is uh, hard done by there, you know, with just one, one little incident in his life. Um, and yes, he did doubt, but nevertheless, he's gone down in history as known as Doubting Thomas, unfortunately. Uh, Rahab the harlot, even in scripture, Rahab is known as the harlot, not a particularly pleasant thing to be called, I would say, but nevertheless, uh, we're told that for a particular reason, when we're going to meet Rahab um, in a few moments time again. Uh, we're also introduced to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wow, another fantastic um, thing to be called, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm backwards, sorry. So, David, a man after God's own heart. Now, we're going to look into that phrase just a little bit more in a while, but just ponders for a moment what an astonishing thing to be called. What an astonishing thing to be said of anybody, a man after God's own heart. We'll probably see, hopefully, as we go through all of these studies, why that would have been said of him. So why was David such an incredibly faithful man? And to answer that, I guess that we will have to look at his whole life, uh, like we are going to today, hopefully. Uh, but to start, I think we need to go back way, way before he was born. Uh, and it's here, I think, that we see the providence of God in preparing for himself, for God, a godly seed and the ruler, not only of the people's choosing, but of his choosing, more importantly, many, many generations before. We could go right back to the start. But I'm going to start with Abraham. Abraham, of course, the friend of God. Abraham, who was the father of the faithful. It stemmed from him. He was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees to be a father of the faithful, a father of many generations, a father of people who would believe in God. And of course, after him, Isaac and Jacob. Of course, they, he was of the royal tribe of Judah, wasn't he? Uh, it, was, uh, it was destined to be. It was God provided that uh, that generation that he was uh, to be of the royal tribe, the royal tribe of Judah. Uh, and then we get four, I won't say nondescript generations, but they were not so well known. Uh, we're not going to go into them today. 
And then we come to a minute up. Well, uh, we really see the line of David being prepared by God here. And despite the darkness of the times that they spent in Egypt, there was still a faithful line. Aminadab is not spoken of an awful lot in scripture, but he did help to bring back the ark from the Philistines to Jerusalem. And so necessarily he must have been a faithful man indeed. Now, from Aminadab, we get Narshon, and we're going to look at a few of these in a minute. Narshon, uh, we get Salmon, we get Boaz. And then we come to people who we sort of know quite well, Obed, Jesse, and David. So there's, you know, quite a few generations from Abraham, but we can see how uh, God had started to form this royal line through into David. Now, Narshon, the son of Aminadab, he was quite an interesting character. Uh, he was a, a great prince of Judah. Uh, it was a very highly, uh, highly honoured position. In the first Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 10, we see, uh, I'm hoping it will come up on the screen. Yes, it is. Uh, and Ram begat Aminadab, Aminadab begat Narshon, prince of the children of Judah. That's no significant, no insignificant event. Um, when you are a prince of one of the tribes, uh, you were chosen for a very specific reason. Moses, Moses wow. through the inspiration of God, chose those princes uh, for greatness. So he must have been... Um, uh, Narshon, a very uh, faithful man indeed. It also says of him in Numbers, he that offered his offering the first day uh, was Narshon, uh, the son of Aminadab of the tribe of Judah. He was, after the dedication of the temple, um, he, he was the, the first of all the tribes, despite the fact that Judah wasn't the firstborn, Reuben, of course, being the firstborn, but Judah was seen as the preeminent one, um, the first of all the tribes to offer his dedication to the tabernacle. Uh, from then on, we get uh, Salmon, his son, Narshon's son, and he was a contemporary of Joshua. And he was one of the generation who, who went into the, uh, the land of Israel, land of Canaan as it was then. And hardly anything is said of him, but what is said is very, very important, very, very significant. They see the genealogies in both Matthew and Luke of the Lord Jesus Christ, both tell us that this man, Salmon, married Rahab, Rahab the harlot. Faithful Rahab, I prefer to call her. She's a very faithful woman indeed, isn't she? She, she knew that she had to get out of that city, Jericho. She knew that the only way to be saved from the world was to join the hope of Israel. A couple, surely, who would Salmon and Rahab teach their children of that wonderful hope, that, that hope of Israel. Uh, and then Salmon uh, and Rahab's son, Boaz, comes along, and he seems to have been a very faithful man. We read of him extensively in, in the book of Ruth. Um, in fact, the Talmud, which is the uh, rabbinical writings, and we don't necessarily see them as inspired or anything, but it's very clear in the Talmud that Boaz, they say, take it for what it's worth, is actually the same as Izhar, the ninth, the ninth judge, whether that's the case or not. Nevertheless, Salmon, uh, sorry, Boaz does seem to have been an extremely important figure, particularly in this line of David. And of course, it was with Boaz that the family ended up in Bethlehem. And that's really important. It's very significant. It was divinely appointed to be that David was to be coming from Bethlehem. It was a town in the hill country of, the, of Judah. Many families kept sheep there. And so the, the, the country was, was even suitable for, for the training of this man. And it paved the way 
for David's training as a shepherd. Uh, and we'll see how important that was just in a few minutes. Not only that, but of course, not just David, but God was preparing a godly line all the way through to his son, wasn't he? Even David's greatest son will be born there in that place where Boaz and uh, Boaz and Ruth ended up in Bethlehem. Well, their son uh, was Obed, uh, and Obed was uh, living in the time of the judges, of course. Uh, but he was raised by very faithful parents um, and given the name of worshipper. So, again, we can make that make of that what we will. But in the time of the judges, being called worshipper meant that you would probably come from a, a very faithful family. And then he has a son, Jesse. Now, Jesse, there's not much spoken of his character. But here in Isaiah 11, perhaps we get just a, a little sneak peek. Uh, and there came forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All this, of course, pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide what his ears hear. You know those words very very well don't we but why doesn't he say there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of david no it's from the root of it's from the stump of jesse isn't it and the fact that jesse himself is mentioned here as the stump of the tree that brought the branch of david and also of david's greatest son i find quite remarkable uh, and it really says to me anyway that god ensured he was he was working in the parents of david that they were the very best he could be, just as he chose the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or Mary, and of course Joseph being a faithful man, to, to bring his son up. He wanted faithful parents who loved God and his words, and he wanted them to influence this boy who was destined to be king. Now, of course, we come to David. David, well, the time as well as the place of David's birth, was also very wisely, very divinely chosen. Many circumstances were, were working through, through God's plan to make the time right. See, the dark ages of the judges were, they were just starting to break up, weren't they? Samson had begun to, to defeat the Philistines. The Philistines were no more the threat to Israel as they were. Um, the Samuel came along. Samuel was sowing the good ground, preparing this godly seed. From the past to be you know to be renewed in this wonderful young man the wonderful young man of god's choosing him and so uh, i want us to go if we were to uh, acts chapter 13. come with me if you were to acts chapter 13. some absolutely astounding words uh, of uh, of luke when we go to acts to talk about uh, david i'm going to put just one of the verses on the screen because it's highly significant i just want to highlight a few of the um the actual um uh, words here. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, we're just going to jump straight in because the context isn't necessarily important. So when he had removed him, of course he is God, isn't it? God removed Saul. He did it. It wasn't the people, it wasn't anybody else. God was working with this family, with his nation, to prepare them. And he raised, and he he, God, raised unto them David to be their king, to whom he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, 
a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And so he goes on just to add just a little extra phrase uh, to that first phrase that we looked at, a man after mine uh, own heart. And that second phrase, which shall fulfill all my will, is very telling, isn't it? That's why David was a man after God's own heart, because he was going to fulfill all my will, just as great David's greatest son was going to do later on. Come with me down to verse 36, though, because in verse 36, it says, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. He served his own generation. So despite being this great king, he served. Now, the type is surely not lost on us, is it? Because Jesus, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant too, didn't he? It's very important. It's an, such an important lesson for us also. And anybody who's a true believer in God, it's God who is supreme, isn't it? And David knew that. You can imagine him in the sheepfold, out in the fields, when he, he's looking at all his sheep, and he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast made, and the stars would have been really bright to them. There was no streetlights then. Beautiful stars, what thou hast made. And he thought of God. What is man that thou art mindful of? Who are we? We're just mortal human beings. And yet thou hast set him over the works of thy hands. Everything we must do must be service, mustn't it? To God or to others. And David was a man, well, a boy, not just a man. He was a boy who learned that very easily, very early. And so did the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was 12, he said, I must be about my father's business. He was there serving straight from age 12 and, and probably less just as this man David was. And he's a wonderful, wonderful type, obviously, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see now, when we look at this wonderful line, how God was behind the choosing of David. Way back, many, many generations, preparing a godly seed. Now, we could ask, what qualities would a shepherd have that would cause God to believe that David, the humble shepherd boy, would make a good king? What was he like? Why, why did he? Why did he make a good king? Surely when you choose, choose a king, you don't choose a shepherd boy. And I'd like us just to look very briefly at the responsibilities of a good shepherd. Because traditional shepherding in the Middle East, at least, uh, is actually a little different from the intensive sheep farming that we are used to in this country. Uh, and as we will see that in a moment. But first, what of the animals themselves? What are sheep like? Well, if we're honest, sheep are pretty helpless animals. They're a bit stupid, aren't they? Um, they're, they're well known for being a little bit stupid. Goats have a much better sense of good direction. Um, if goats wander off, they can normally find food and shelter, but sheep, well, not so much. Um, they wander off. They, they have a tendency to do all sorts of wandering. You can watch programs of them if you, if you don't live in the country and, and you know, they, they're all over the shop. Um, they, they wander off. They can't find their way home. And the shepherd has to lead them to food and, and water, in, certainly in these countries. The shepherd has to learn to uh, lead them to food and water every day and, and find them a place to rest. Now, a shepherd in the traditional sense must continually be aware of his sheep and, and of course, their needs because they have no sense of danger. 
a little bit like my kids, to be honest. They've got no, <laughs> but no sense of danger. Kids have not. I work with dozens of them, but you know, they, they have no sense of danger. They they don't know what their needs are. A good education is one of them, but you know, they don't know it. And at all times, the shepherd keeps his eyes on the sheep, making sure, of course, that as we saw in that picture earlier, uh, that his sling is very nearby. He protects them from wandering away. He protects them from the wild animals that we saw earlier. There's a, there's a shepherd on the hill. There could quite easily be a, a lion or a bear hiding over that, over that ridge there. Uh, and in David's time, they built shelters in the hill country. They, did, they didn't take them all back, back home to them. Uh, the big metal building. Um, they, they, had, they built them shelters in the, in the hill country to sleep in. There's only one way in. There's only one way out, and the shepherd was there. He was the gate. Of course, we can see all of these types, can't we? Now, the good shepherd in David's day was an expert with a sling. We know that they were experts with a the sling. Uh, they spent many hours practicing to become excellent at hitting targets, whether it's a, an animal or just to scare a sheep from wandering off. You know, one sheep's going over the hill, sling over the other way would bring him back, bring her back, sorry. Um, and uh, they, I'm sure David would have sat there for many, many hours watching the sheep, thinking how much people are like sheep needing a shepherd. See, our God knows that we're like sheep, aren't we? We're just, we're in need of shepherding. We need someone to, to lead us to food and water and show them where to go. People need daily guidance. <laughs> Preferably from the word and not the square box. And they're easily persuaded to make poor choices. We see that so often in our own lives as well as the world's. And God chose this young man who loved his God and was obedient to his word. He loved the sheep. He was kind. He was gentle. He was caring. Many times he risked his own life to save the sheep. And he named each one and, and in the evening just checked for their wounds. Sheep knew his voice, it says in the scriptures. The sheep knows the voice of the shepherd. It's not like nowadays where the dog barks and you know, they're all scared and they go off. The sheep are called by the shepherd in these countries. He calls and they go to him. They know his voice. He loved and he cares for them. Come with me, if you would, to Psalm 78. Verse 70. Because in Psalm 78, there is uh, some very poignant words about this good shepherd, David. Psalm 78, verse 70 says, he chose, of course, God, again, expressing, in, in, expressing intently that God is the one who chose him. He chose David, also his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. I want to just look into those few phrases just for a few moments, because David had been chosen because of the way he had looked after the flock. And why pick out the fact then that he followed the ewes great with young? Well, when you think about ewes great with young, they would have been the slowest ones, wouldn't they? They would have been very vulnerable to attacks. <coughs> attacks from lions and bears. And, and David had to, to fight against those to protect those particular sheep in, uh, especially. 
And so it showed a real care and responsibility for those that were entrusted in his care. It reminds me, of course, of some words of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he says in Luke 16, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Yes, shepherding wasn't a, you know, a great high calling like the rulers of Israel. But he was faithful in it. And that made him suitable to look after a bigger flock. And God was training David to look after that bigger flock, God's flock. David almost certainly didn't know it at the time when he was a boy. He, didn't, he obviously didn't know it. But he could look back when he was older. And I'm sure in, in the other two talks, we're going to see David who, when he looks back over his training and the things that he did, he realized that God was working with him all the way through his life. Right from the start, right from, not just from the time in the sheepfolds, but right back to the generations that we looked at earlier, right back to faithful Abraham and, and even further. And it often happens to us too, doesn't it? We, we don't know that God is working with us sometimes. And yet we look back several years later, for instance, you know, oh, oh, that time, that time where I was, I was really in trouble, but I can see now what God was doing. God was working with me. He, he really was looking after me. He was training me to learn this so I could do this, so I could serve this person. And it was the things that he did, he learned in his youth that made him so successful later on. Well, in verse 72 of that Psalm 78, if you've still got it open, he says, so he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. He fed them. That's a really, really um, interesting word fed because it's actually the word means shepherd. He, he shepherded them. He tended them. He, it, it, makes, it means to make friendship with. It's not just to provide food. It's something even that that wonderful, famous uh, shepherd Jacob recognized. Look at, look at Genesis 48 on the screen. He says, he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me, that's the same word to shepherd, all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And, and so he sees that God had been shepherding him all the way through his life. And, and so he does with us so that they grow into a multitude. It's almost like a, a, them, a before and an after. God is, God is working with us as he works with David. Before we were even born, he knew us. And also after, with the people who will be from, uh, be after us. And that's how Jacob saw himself, as a sheep. And the shepherd was God. That's the sort of care David bestowed on his sheep. Another word, another phrase of uh, the Bible, which uh, obviously David penned, Psalm 37, trust in the Lord, he says, do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and, and verily thou shalt be fed. Something that David knew very well from his shepherding days. David knew that God was the shepherd. He was just practicing what God had taught him. Verse 72 of Psalm 78, if you've still got it open, also mentions the integrity of of his heart and that word integrity means completeness but not only completeness but innocence something which is very sadly lacking in today's society innocence and it's a phrase in the bible that is only used of three people that they were have integrity or innocence abraham job 
and David. The idea comes over that the word is used in, in 2 Samuel. I'll just put, um, I'll just, no, yeah, I'll, if you turn with me, if you would, to, to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 11, um, it, it's a time which we, we might see a little bit later. I'm not sure whether um, John's going to mention this particular one, but uh, it's when uh, Absalom is uh, in, in the ascendancy. And Absalom went, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And they knew not anything. It's a very telling phrase that they knew not anything. They were totally innocent. Totally, totally innocent. It, it's an innocence completely contrary to worldly wisdom. And again, the idea comes out in the words of the New Testament, doesn't it? For our rejoicing is this, says Paul in Corinthians, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, simplicity I can't say that word today, and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, our way of life in the world, and more abundantly to you, Lord. It's completely the opposite to the world. He goes on in, in chapter 11, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And again, Paul in Romans says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Still can't say it's a simplicity. So it's a characteristic to be desired, isn't it? It's completely the opposite to worldly wisdom. And that's what, that's what David had. All the world wants us to become is wise to the point of subtlety. But simplicity and innocence is a characteristic that can be built up by studying God's word and the true wisdom that that brings. Look at the Old Testament. Proverbs 11 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. It's the same word, integrity. Simplicity. Simplicity. <laughs> Proverbs 20. The just man walketh in the integrity. His children, very significant, his children are blessed after him. It's not wisdom of the world that we should be teaching our kids. It's the simplicity of Jesus of the gospel it's not difficult brothers and sisters it, it, it it's right that we should do that if you've still got psalm 78 opening it's verse 72 it says he guided the sheep by the skillfulness of his hands and that word guided it means to drive forth it's somewhere translated lead or or, or drive it's often quote, uh, uh, translated a uh, lead and we see that in, the, in Exodus chapter 32, it says, therefore now go, lead the people, drive them forth like sheep. Lead the people unto a place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So guiding, leading, driving with a purpose, with an aim, with a destination in mind. And the destination for us obviously is the kingdom, isn't it? See, David in guiding his flock, would have led them away from trouble. He would have led them away from, from dangerous and difficult paths. He would have led them onto not the broad way, but the narrow way, wouldn't he? And guided to, to the places where he knows he would have, they would have had good pastures, guided them into these ways. 
Isaiah 40 says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, shall carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. The ewes great with young, once again. So here is the next stage, isn't it? Those who were great with young have now brought forth. They've got lambs. They've got lambs there. That new generation has been born and, and been gathered into God's arms, gathered into his bosom. And, and no wonder early in Psalm 78, the promised generation was spoken of. It says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare to them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that's something, again, that David was privileged to have in his ancestors, wasn't it? He, he was taught, God, God worked with his ancestors to bring him to the right family so that he would be brought to this point, a point where he could lead God's flock. And, and that's, Something we should pay heed to with our children too. Now, as with David, the responsibility to lead the young of the flock rests with us. And come with me, if you would, to the first of Peter chapter 5. Peter obviously speaks quite a bit about shepherding. He was told by the Lord Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, to feed the flock, feed the lambs, wasn't it? And Peter, too, was a shepherd, not literally like David, but he was a shepherd of the flock, wasn't he? The early ecclesia. And the first Peter two, sorry, first Peter five, verse one says, "The elders which are among you, I exhort, I implore." who also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. It's not that we've got to wake up on a Sunday morning, oh, I've got to teach Sunday school again. It's not like that. Hey, I've got to teach Sunday school. Yeah, it, it's something which we should be pleased to do. Willingly, not for filthy lucre, not so that we can say, oh, you know, we're, we're a great teacher of the Sunday school, but, but of a ready mind. Neither being lords over God's heritage, we, but examples to the flock. We, we're not really lording it over people. We're not, we're not shepherds because we're better than anybody else. We've all got to do it. We've all got to shepherd each other. We all need it. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And that's the point, isn't it, brothers and sisters? We can't lord it over others because we are also led by that chief shepherd. We must do what we do in humility, just like David did. In order to do that, we need, as David did as a young shepherd, to, de to develop selflessness, caring, servant-like approach. All to our brothers and our sisters. If we go to that, back to that phase, if you've got it in your mind, the skillfulness of his hands. He, he guided his flock by the skillfulness of his hands. That word gives the idea of understanding or discretion. 
in the first of Kings, we're told God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, largest of hand, largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And I wonder sometimes whether that was some of the problems with Solomon. He had it all, didn't he? He had it all. First of Kings 7 now says, King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass. He was filled with wisdom and understanding, just like Solomon. Same words. And cunning to work in all works of brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. But God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, but Hiram developed it through practice through hard work, obviously being taught by other craftsmen. He would have been keen and willing to learn at all times. And that understanding and that skillfulness is something that we should do also. We, we, should, we should learn from those who have learned, from the shepherds of the Ecclesia. That understanding and that skillfulness can only come, of course, from one source. The book of Job says, with the ancient is wisdom. In the length of days is understanding. Quite often, at least, anyway, you know, length of day, you know, the, the elders of the Ecclesia, they've, they've been there. They're wise. They, 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 normally, anyway. They, 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 they're, they're the ones that we should look to for guidance, for shepherding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. So, and that's skillfulness. That understanding comes from God and his word. It doesn't necessarily come naturally. And like all skills, it's made better and developed because we practice it. When you're playing the piano, you're not going to get any better unless you practice, practice, practice. And that's what it's like with the word. We should practice that. Practice it, practice it, practice it. Every day. David, as a shepherd boy, would have made mistakes, of course. But because of the lives of his sheep depending on him, he learnt it quickly. And so even as a young boy, God allows David to, to meet Goliath. He didn't, God didn't wait for David to be in his 30s, for instance, and when he went out and met that monster of a man. He was a slip of a boy. I don't know, a teenager, 15 perhaps. I, we don't know for certain. But he was a young boy when he went out to meet that huge man monster Goliath. Because he had learned from the scriptures, he sang them every day in the sheepfolds. He looked after the sheep. He had learned the first real test of this young boy's training. Come with me, if you would, to the first of Samuel, chapter 17. Let's try and draw our thoughts to a conclusion. Now. We're not going to go in any detail about the story of David and Goliath. We know it so well. I just want to bring out some of these Really important points, looking back at why David was so successful in defeating Goliath. First Samuel 17, verse 34. David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him. I didn't, I didn't walk the other way. I, didn't, I wasn't scared of it. I smote him. Delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Imagine doing that. A bear, a lion. 
What a fearless young man. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. All he was interested in was the armies of the living God. He was interested in God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, probably not in much confidence, David, go, and the Lord be with thee. And we know what happened. David knew that God had prepared him and trained him for this great task. This great task of leading the flock of God as a shepherd does his sheep. And, and here he was standing in front of a lion of a man, no less, nine foot tall with the flock of God behind him. He knew when he was standing in front of that man that the flock of God, the armies of the living God were behind him like his sheep were when he was in front of that lion. Something which he'd done many, many times, no doubt. But he realised and he acknowledged that it was God that was the true shepherd. And Goliath of Gath fell to the ground. Did and so in conclusion, brothers and sisters, I just want to read to you that passage that we had as an introductory reading. I know it's all messianic. I know Psalm 23 is talking, looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but let's just try and look at it now as we have all the way through this, this morning, through David's eyes. David penned these words. Let's think about, let's try and think about what David was thinking about when he first sung it with his harp, probably on the side of a mountain, looking at his flock. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy shepherd's crook, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever 